The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Our scripture passage today is from Revelation 12, chapters, or verses 1 through 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on its heads. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. And then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Hey, don't go anywhere. So I deceived Becky this week to get her up on stage at this point. Um, as you guys know, Becky, uh, Becky led our creative arts team along with a number of other people over the last 15 months. And we've talked about that. We've celebrated her before. We've thanked her. And we wanted to just do something a little bit more formal and a little bit uh, more fun. So we, um, over the past couple months, we have, been, we have been gathering together a number of, a number of Becky-isms of things that she has said over the last 15 months. And we put a little bit of effort. Um, about a month ago, I said, hey, you're not allowed to look in Canva anymore because that was how we created it. Um, so we have, we've created this list of Beckyisms for you. Um, just these things are going to be stamped and burned into our brain uh, for the rest of our time at Westway Christian Church. Um, no. Um, I have had all the Beckyisms that I can take. Um, so I'm going gi- to give you this, and I'm going I'm to give you this. Um, but before, I, before, actually, before I do that, um, this is actually part of the message today, too. Um, like, you, you might look at these, and I know you can't read them all. You might look at these, and you're wondering what they mean, right? You don't understand. Like, when, when someone says... Um, we have everyone we need. You might not know what that means. When you see the, the phrase, and we're going to talk about this one in a second at the very bottom, S-L-A-C-P, you don't know what that means, right? Because you don't have the context um, for this, and, and I'm going somewhere with that. So I'm going to give you this. Becky, thank you. You are free of ever being recognized on this stage again for what you do. So thank you. Um, so one of the things that we've talked, if you have your Bible, you should open it to Revelation 12 and 13. I want to encourage you to, to read the text um, every single week. So I've been meaning to bring this up. Uh, next week, we are reading Revelation 14 to 16. Um, we do not have time, believe it or not, even in the 50 minutes that you bore with me last week, like you did, you powered through that, that was awesome. Even in the 50 minutes that, that you were with me last week, we did not talk about everything in Revelation 6 to 11. There's just not enough time. So the best thing that you can do during the week is read the text for the following Sunday. Best thing. Next week, we're gonna talk about Revelation 14 through 16. I'm gonna encourage you to do that. Today's 12 and 13. Um, but I wanna come back. Um, I said a second ago that early on in the series, we talked about the phrase, we have to remember that the Bible cannot mean to us 
what it did not first mean to them. You've heard me say that before. So let's talk, let's throw that um, S-L-A-C-P up on the screen here for a second, and then, and then we'll talk about it. That's what it stands for, okay? Sounds like a Cody problem. And, he, and here's, let me tell you what that doesn't mean, okay? We hit this point um, after, we, after we knew that we were going to hire Cody, we hit this point in our staff meetings where we were having all of these conversations about what the future of our creative arts team was going to look like. And Becky was, Becky was in this really awkward spot where she was seated in that chair, but realistically, she couldn't make decisions that someone else was going to have to live by. Does that make sense? So this wasn't her saying, I just don't care about anything. This was her saying, this really sounds like a Cody problem. So we started saying that phrase over and over and over again. Sounds like a Cody problem. Sounds like a Cody problem. And the closer it came to Cody coming to Westway Christian Church, the more that phrase popped up. Because we weren't going to commit Cody to doing something that he didn't know anything about. So that's what that phrase means, okay? So when when we see that S-L-A-C-P, let's just go to the next slide. When we see S-L-A-C-P, what that means is it sounds like a Cody problem. What does that have to do with the book of Revelation? Well, for many of us, we read the book of Revelation and we spend zero time figuring out what S-L-A-C-P stands for. So we start to make up our own version of that. Does it make sense? Like we read the book of Revelation, and, and actually we do this not just with the book of Revelation, we do this often with the Bible. We don't take any time to understand what it's talking about. We don't, we don't go back and we don't read a little bit of the history and the, and the, and the context of the people in the book of Revelation. So we just start filling in the blanks, right? We talked about last week, we talked about the locusts. And that's why for some of us, um, and, and I know that some of you hate that, um, that I talk this way about that. But for some of you, you see locusts and your brain automatically defaults to Apache helicopters, okay? Because the last 40 years, you have had, you have had terrible teaching, and not just, uh, not just from, from the church in general, but from our culture. You've had terrible teaching that says that's Apache helicopters. And what you ought to do is you ought to press pause for a minute and go back and research and try and understand what was going on. And when you do that, what you find is that particular section of the book of Revelation, those trumpets, John is using the language of the plagues of Egypt. We talk, that's, all, that's what we talked about last week. So it makes sense that he would use locusts because locusts were in the plagues of Egypt. Does that make sense? You following along with that? What I'm trying to teach you to do, what I want you to do when you read the Bible is that I don't want you to read Revelation and then go to the newspaper to see what it means. I want you to read Revelation and do a little bit of historical research and understand what it meant for them. Because the Bible can't mean something different for us that it didn't first mean to them. It can't. S-L-A-C-P will always, always, always be sounds like a Cody problem. That's what it's gonna be. And this Bible, the book of Revelation in particular, it has meaning, it has purpose. And I wanna challenge you and I wanna, I wanna press on you to not define it by what's happening in the news today. But to do a little bit of work and try and understand what was going on in the past. So, so here's, here's this week. We've been talking a lot about um, what the church is doing during this time. The church is supposed to be faithfully witnessing, right? That's, that's our call. This is where we are in the book of Revelation. It's what we've seen in the last 11 chapters. As, as all of these things bear down and these hardships and realities and situations and circumstances of life are bearing down on the church, here's what, here's what we are called to do. We are called to bear witness. Becky read the text a second ago. I don't know that I'm gonna read it today, but it talks about being washed in the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. So that's our job. As the world is falling apart, we live and act as though we've been washed in the blood of the lamb and we share the word of the testimony. So this is what we're talking about. As the church faithfully witnesses the victory of Jesus Christ, that's what we do. Satan is not silent. That's really important for us to grasp. 
Satan's been defeated. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Like he's lost, but he's not silent. He's not done. Though defeated, he sets up a copycat kingdom of political power and false religion in an effort to deceive, kill, steal, and destroy. And Revelation 12 and 13 is telling us that those who side with Satan are marked as his disciples through their thoughts and their actions. So I know you're so excited to talk about 666 today. You're excited to talk about the mark of the beast, but it's gonna take us a minute to get there. So in, in Revelation 12, the text, that, the text that Becky read to us this morning, um, we, see these, we see these two signs. We see a woman and we see a dragon, okay? Um, the NLT says, then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman and then it describes the woman. She's clothed with, um, clothed with the sun, the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then there's another significant event and, and other translations call that signs. So this is a symbol. So what John, um, what John saw was a symbol of something else. It's an example of something else. And this is, you should know this, this is the Christmas story. What we're reading in this very first part of Revelation chapter 12 is the Christmas story. The woman is Mary, but it's not only Mary. And this is where we have to really dig into this text to try and understand what's going on. And we have to be familiar with our Bible, which we're going to talk about at the end. But it's not only Mary. She's representative of God's people and all humanity. How do we know that? Well, it says that she's clothed with the sun and the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. One of the things that, that we've been doing on Facebook ever since the, ever since the pandemic started um, most mornings at 7 a.m. as we've just been reading the, the Bible together and having a little bit of a devotional. And over the past couple weeks, we've been, actually the past few months, we've been going through the book of Genesis. And I don't know if you remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, but he has a dream. He has a couple dreams. One of those dreams was, was the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down before him. There were 11 brothers other than Joseph. 11 plus one is 12 stars. See, Mary, this person is representing all of humanity. And she is in birth pains, waiting for salvation, waiting for deliverance. And then there's another sign. I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky, threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Does that sound like anyone in the Christmas story? Maybe somebody named Herod? who went through Bethlehem and told them to kill all of the males less than two years old. See, what, what this is telling us, and like when you, we read through the Gospels, we don't see any of this. But we have to remember that what John is doing, what God is doing, is he's pulling back the curtain on reality. And I think one of the issues that we have as followers of Christ is we just don't know what reality is. We have so limited everything to what we see, hear, feel, and experience. And what John is telling us by, by, by opening up this curtain is there is so much more going on to reality than anything you could ever imagine. And John is telling us what that is. So for your next nativity scene, you should have a red dragon in it. Okay, that would be completely accurate that there is someone waiting to devour. Well, who's, who's the dragon? It's Herod, but it's not only Herod. See, the dragon is representative of the serpent from Genesis 3.15. Do you remember that? Here's Genesis 3.15. This is post-sin. And I will, this is God talking to the serpent. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. 
See, we're seeing a spiritual reality taking place here. This is the battle between humanity and the serpent. And God is revealing this to his people because he wants them to know something. But then there's a third character in this. Verse five, she gave birth to a son who is to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon, was caught up to God and to his throne. What's interesting about this third character, this son, is it doesn't say this is a sign. So this is not a symbol of anyone. This is actually Jesus. And we know that because if we, if we flip back to Psalm chapter two, I know I'm throwing a lot of Bible at you. If you're using the YouVersion app, it's all in there. And I just cannot stress enough for you. One of the best things you can do is read your Bible. Because the more time you spend in scripture, the more you're gonna understand what it's saying. This is, this is uh, Psalm 2. Verses six to nine. For the Lord declares, I placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. See, this third character, this son, this is Jesus, and it's telling us what he's gonna do. And the entire life of Jesus, his birth, his ministry, his death, his, his resurrection and his ascension, they're all summed up in verse 12, five. All four gospels, one verse. This is who Jesus is. And then we read through the story, and, and this is what Becky talked about. There's this huge war in heaven that took Place. And this is where we remember the Bible's not linear. Because what some of us right now are trying to like, we're trying to put this in order. We're trying to categorize this along a timeline. And John is showing us that this isn't a timeline. There are lots of things taking place in all of this. And there's this war in heaven because the dragon has to pay and Satan is cast out but he's not done. And while he's on earth, he's gonna do two things. He's going to accuse and he's going to deceive. So Satan is no longer in heaven. It says he, he brings a third of the stars with him. If you remember, this is symbolism. Stars, remember, were angels of the churches. So these aren't good angels. These are bad angels. We would use the word demons. So Satan brings all of these demons with him as he's cast out of heaven and his job is to accuse and to deceive. And Becky said this earlier, I, I loved it. When we were, um, she was in the office on Tuesday and, and she pointed out to me what she said to you. I've noticed like every, every other chapter, every second or third chapter, like there's this pause and there's praise. There's something happening in the book of Revelation where, where when things seem to get out of hand and all seems lost, God's people stop and they praise. And I wonder what that would be like for you if in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through in your life, if you would stop and you would worship, if you would stop and you would praise God. Verse 13 picks right up where nine left off. When the dragon realized he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And then this sounds like one of the books I'm reading made like, this is like a, this is like a cartoon, what we're about to read. The writer of this book, See the Strange, says it's kind of like a um, comic relief. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. Can you imagine that scene? Imagine having to describe that. 
And the dragon was angry at the world. And listen, he declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. So here's the thing. Humanity as, as a whole, Christians as a whole, the people of God are safe in the ultimate sense. Okay, big picture, 60,000 foot view, God's people as a whole are completely safe. That's what we're reading in this story. No matter what the dragon does, it can't catch, it can't catch, it can't catch, it can't catch. But here's the other reality. Individual churches and individual Christians are under persecution and challenge and temptation and hardship and reality. That's what we're seeing here. So God's people as a whole are safe. But then there's us. We bring that down to the 10-foot level. And this is Genesis 3, 16. It says this. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. See, we're seeing this fight. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. We're seeing this fight. We're seeing this battle between Satan and us. And part of the issue is, again, like we think that these things aren't real. Like this doesn't make any sense to us. Remember we talked about plausibility structures. You love that. We talk about things that we can see. That's the way we're wired. But there's this other reality going on behind us. And I talk with individual Christians and I know I feel this way so many times. Like, why are bad things happening? Why are these hardships happening? How come I'm always struggling? Why am I always tempted? Why am I feeling discouraged? Because you have an enemy that is pursuing you. You have an enemy who's using tools like accusation and deceit. That's why. That's why you're facing hardship and that's why you're facing reality. And what's interesting, the chapter ends, um, then the dragon took his stand on the shore um, beside the sea. See, the dragon has no real power to wield. Last week, I don't know if you remember this, in chapter 10, there was this crazy scene where this angel comes down from heaven. Do you remember that? And with one foot in the sea and one foot on the shore, it let out this mighty roar. Do you remember that? The crazy thing about the dragon is it can only stand next to the ocean. See, what we're seeing in this text is there's so much comparison between all of these competing beasts and all of these competing uh, deities and gods, little g and the big G God. But just because he has no real authority, he's not a, a non-formidable enemy. How does he fight? See, Satan's here. How does he fight? What does he do? Let's read Gen- uh, Revelation 13. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and 10 horns with 10 crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard and it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast? They exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer over them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Pause. Are you hearing similarity of language throughout this book? And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. 
They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. Then I saw another beast come out of the earth. It had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 666. S-L-A-C-P. Sounds like a Cody problem. I do not look at the news to tell me what this means. I have to go back and I have to understand a little bit. So here's the beast of the sea. I want you to imagine for a moment that you lived along the Mediterranean Sea, anywhere from about 100 BC to about 350 AD, maybe a little longer than that. I want you to imagine that you live on the Mediterranean Sea. And one day you're out walking along the shore and you see something in the distance coming towards you. It's the Roman Navy. And they are, it's not a cruise ship. They're not coming to spend money in your town. They are coming to subjugate you. They are coming to put you under their power. And the beast of the sea that John is talking about is Rome. A naval military power projecting their power to the entirety of the known world. But here's the thing. It's not only Rome. It is nationalistic, militaristic, political power. See, just like the woman wasn't just Mary, it was all of humanity. Just like the dragon wasn't just Herod, it was, it was the dragon, it was representing something else that wants to kill life. This beast of the sea is nationalistic, militaristic power. Okay, that's what it represents. That's what's taking place. And in the next chapter, we're gonna read the word Babylon. And here's what's gonna happen John is going to talk about Rome by talking about ba- by calling it Babylon. Because he's trying to paint this bigger picture of what's going on in reality. And one of the reasons we struggle with stuff like this is because we're like we just think about only what we can see. And it's interesting that John is going to use the word Babylon because that would be a word that these Christians would understand. They would remember it from the book of Daniel. They would know exactly who Babylon was. They would know what Babylon represents. So Babylon's not just a place, although it is a place. It's a concept. It's an image that John is trying to communicate. So when you think Babylon, think militaristic, nationalistic power. Think Babylon. And what John is telling us here is that every nation state, every nation state becomes a beast when it demands allegiance to itself. We've seen that throughout history. 
Soviet Union was a beast because it demanded allegiance to itself. Nazi Germany was a beast because it demanded allegiance to itself as a false god. Persia, Rome, all nations, and you gotta get this, all nations eventually become Babylon. All nations eventually become Babylon because ultimately they demand allegiance to itself as the God. If you don't follow the rules of Babylon, what happens? You pay with your life. But there's another beast, the beast of the earth. That's the second part of chapter 13 from Revelations. This is Roman emperor cult worship, but it's not only Roman emperor cult worship. See, this symbolizes the worship of any false religion. Here's here's what Jesus through John is telling us. He's telling us how the world works. See, there's this major beast, this dragon. And what he has is he has two beasts that that run in power with him, that have co-authority with him. One of them is the beast of the sea. One of them is the beast of the earth. Well, I can think of something else that sort of operates that way. I can think of God, the father. I think of Jesus, the son and the Holy Spirit. Are you seeing the connections between these two things? See, the best Satan can do is set up a copycat kingdom. What Satan does is he looks at the Trinity of God and he's like, man, I really want to be like that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise a beast out of the sea. And he's going to kind of be like Jesus. I don't know if you saw the part, if you remember the part when I read it, of the beast that seemed wounded beyond recovery. Like if I think about that for about five and a half seconds, I think of that kind of sounds like Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. And now I have this beast that sort of is mimicking Jesus Christ. And then there's this other beast, the beast out of the earth. And strangely, his task is to require all of the people to worship the first beast. The Bible tells us that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus, get them to worship Jesus. Do you see this false trinity in this text? Do you understand what's taking place? This is accusation and this is deceit. And this is what's happening here. And this is why, this is why we can't just read this and, and look at the news. Because there are so many other things taking place in this text. What Babylon is doing, what the dragon is doing, is he's accusing and deceiving its people into this copycat kingdom. He's saying, I know what you can have with God, but, but, but I'm gonna set up this one instead. And the issue is, is lots of us fall for it. We fall for the copycat kingdom, don't we? We fall for the nationalistic, militaristic, political power. We think, like we have convinced ourselves that if, who, if we can just get the right person in power, if we can just vote them in, they're gonna fix everything. That is nationalistic, militaristic, political power. That's what that is. Because we've taken off our eyes from God and we've placed someone else on the throne. So we think if we just get that, then we're gonna be able to fix all that ails us. It's a lie, it's a deceit, it's an accusation. And this is how Satan works. And the fact that some of us are sitting in this room or watching online and we're thinking that he doesn't work that way means you have been deceived. You've fallen for it. I know you think you haven't. 
I know I think I haven't. But we're reading and we're learning and we're understanding exactly how Satan works. And if we think that we would never be deceived, that we would never fall for it, I'm like, really? Do we really think we're that good? So let's talk about the number of the beast or the mark of the beast for a second. I want you to notice where the mark goes. In the text, it says on the right hand or on the forehead. I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is where we have to look back a little bit. We have to recognize that, that when, when this letter was written, when people talked about the forehead or the head, it was their intellect, it was their mind. And when they talked about their hands, jazz hands, when they talked about their hands, they're talking about their actions. What is being set up for us here is an anti-Shema. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is called. That's what Jews call Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. It was something they would wake up every day and they would pray it. And what we're seeing in Revelation 13 is an anti-Shema. See, when our, when our patterns of thinking and our actions are against God, you're wearing the mark of the beast. It has nothing to do with the COVID vaccine. It has nothing to do with the UPC. It has nothing to do with the chip that they put in your credit card. Right? Those are all things. And there's probably 82 million more things over the last 150 to 200 years that we have become convinced are the mark of the beast. Don't want to do that, it's the mark of the beast. Don't want to do that, it's the mark of the beast. Can't do that, it's the mark of the beast. And here's reality. When you're thinking and your actions are against God, you're wearing the mark of the beast. You are demonstrating which kingdom you belong to. And everyone knows, everyone can see. If you're worshiping at the altar of political power, you're wearing the mark of the beast. If you think that the cure for what is going to fix humanity is legislation, you're wearing the mark of the beast. If you think your moral goodness gets you points with God, I want you to hear that again. If you think your moral goodness gets you points with God, you're wearing the mark of the beast. If you think the sin that people do that are like the others who sin differently than you, you're better than them because you don't sin that way. What I'm gonna tell you is you're wearing the mark of the beast. If you tolerate and accept and affirm the sin of yourself and the sin of others, you're wearing the mark of the beast. And you're deceived if you think otherwise. Because that is Satan's weapon, is deceit. This beast, John tells us, has a name. He says it's 666. We talked about this last week in our elders meeting and Dave Robinson reminded us that that's really curious because, um, because in, um, in Rome, Numbers were literally letters. You ever heard the concept of Roman numerals? Numbers were literally letters. So using a number for a name at this point in history was actually quite commonplace. 
was, um, the book I'm reading. It's called See the Strange. I think you should pick it up. Um, <clears throat> he talks about that archaeologists have found ancient graffiti in Pompeii. And this is what it says. I love the girl whose number is 545. Think she probably knew who she was when she saw that? See, this number represented a name. And many people believe that 666 was, a, was like crypto, was a, was a code for Caesar Nero. But here's the thing, like everything else we've talked about today, it's not just Nero, it's a symbol. It means something else. Here's your math lesson for the day. Six is less than seven. Last week, for about three and a half minutes, I told you about numbers in the book of Revelation. And the number seven is a perfect number. Seven days of creation. We see seven throughout the book, throughout the Bible. And here's the reality of 666. No matter how hard Babylon tries, it will always fall short. See, the best Satan can do is have three sixes. That's his, like, that's the best he will ever do. That's the best that system will ever do. That's the best that copycat thing that we all get wrapped up in and caught up in. It's the best it can do is mimic and copy. And it will always fall short of seven because seven is God's number. And 666 is just going to fall short. Because the reality is, every Babylon fails. Every Babylon fails. Within a few centuries of Emperor Domitian, the Roman Empire reached a tipping point as 51% of its population claimed to follow. Jesus. Imagine that for a moment. 51% of the population became followers of Christ. And here's what happened in very short order after that. The emperor cult worship went away. They stopped worshiping the emperor and instead proclaimed Jesus as Lord. The Colosseum closed. And I wrote this on my Facebook page a few weeks ago. For 12 euros, that's about 14 and a half bucks. If you are in Rome, you can actually go to the Colosseum. You can, you can stroll through the ruins of Rome. And for the next 600 years, the church would sit, would stand at the graveside of Babylon after Babylon. It would stand at the graveside of the Roman Empire, the Mongol and Ottoman Empires. It would stand at the graveside of the thousand-year Reich of Adolf Hitler. It would stand at the graveside of the Soviet Union. And in the next thousand years, the church is going to stand at the graveside of America and a dozen other Babylons that are going to rise and fall in the next thousand years. So we have to wrestle with the reality that our nation is becoming Babylon. And I hate to tell you, like right or left, we're not gonna stop it. That doesn't mean we give up and throw up our hands. It means we faithfully witness Jesus Christ. We recognize that we are in a war. We recognize that we are in a battle. And I know that that probably bothers some of you that I would say the church is going to stand at the graveside of America. Like, and that bothers me that that bothers you. Because we have to understand that there is something else going on. There's something more important than Babylon. So as we witness, how do we, how do we win? How do we fight? We sang that song, this is how I fight my battles. How do, how do I fight my battles? Number one, we pursue holiness. We hate our sin and we pursue holiness. I love this example that um, recently listened to, uh, to a sermon that um, Matt Chandler gave talking about this text. 
Um, he said, a lot, of us, uh, a lot of us treat sin like it's a puppy, right? Puppies are cute, aren't they? You take them home and then they throw up on your floor and crap on your bed. And then this is what a lot of us do with that puppy. We clean it up and then it just grows into a bigger dog that does the exact same thing for the rest of its life. And that's what we do with our sin. It's so cute, it's so small, it's fluffy, it makes nice little noises. And we tolerate it and we accept it and we accept it and we accept it and we clean up after it. And I love the way Chandler talks about this. He says, what you ought to do with that little puppy sin is you ought to take it out in the street and put a bullet in its head. Because the longer you let that sin fester in your life, it's going to destroy your life. It's gonna ruin your life. And it's cute and it's fun and no one else knows about it because it's just between you and that sin and you and God, but it's gonna destroy your life. There's a theologian that said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I need to be more serious about my sin. I need to kill my sin. I need to kill it dead. Because if I don't, it's gonna wreck my life and it's gonna, it's gonna wreck the lives of everyone around me. And haven't you seen that take place? And maybe your sin didn't ruin someone else's life. I would argue it has. But some of us are just along for the ride of the sinfulness of other people. So the first thing we do when we are fighting this battle is we pursue holiness. We have to hate our sin. Here's the second thing. This is not gonna be a surprise. Read your Bible. I told you last week, what I pray for over our body every day is that we would grow in wisdom and knowledge that leads to transformation. If you just gotta read your Bible. And I know that some of you are gonna say that's really hard, I can't do it. Well, that's accusation and deceit because you guys, some of you, you can tell me everything I never wanted to know about the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And you learn that by reading. And some of you are gonna say, nope, I listen to podcasts. Okay, great. There are about 85 Bible apps that you can find that will read the Bible to you. The issue is for us, when we say we can't read our Bible, we are agreeing with the accusation and the deception of Satan. What you've said is, you're right, Satan. I can't read my Bible. Not gonna win if you don't. Here's the third thing, pray. Pray. Here's another accusation and deceit. I don't know how to pray. God, I don't know how to pray. That's a prayer. The New Testament in particular but they're also in the Old Testament. The New Testament in particular, especially the letters of Paul from the churches are filled with prayers. We talked about that. Pray Bible prayers. Read through the letters. Pray Bible prayers. Whatever Paul prayed for for those churches, pray for yourself. You don't, you don't have to be creative. Read someone else's prayer. So pursue holiness, read your Bible, pray, engage in real relationship. Engage in real relationship. You will pursue holiness better in real relationship. When you can just go and, and allow people into your life, allow them to confront you, which we hate in our day and age because everyone that disagrees with us is clearly a hater. Well, in the Christian world, no, they just love me. See, that's their job. So in my relationship with my wife, when she points out the multitude of faults that I have, like my play used to be to get mad at her. But now I realize after, like it took a long time for me to figure this out. Like she actually loves me and cares for me and wants me to be more, conform, more confirmed to the image of Christ. So when she holds me accountable to my crazy behavior, 
which only you can imagine. Like if this is how I am regular here, imagine what it's like being in our house. Like she has to hold me accountable. That's real relationship. And here's the last thing. You're gonna, you're gonna fight this battle. You're gonna win this battle by serving other people. We've seen this time and time and time again in the book of Revelation. They didn't, they didn't win by fighting back. Did you catch the end of verse 10 in chapter 13? This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Let that sink in for a minute. See, we wanna, we, we're doers. And what God is calling us to do is to endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. And like we talked about last week, when we do that, when the world sees us doing that, they will flock to Christ. Because we're not fighting on their terms. And honestly, we're not fighting on our terms. We're fighting on his terms. We're fighting the battle like he wants us to fight it. And if you remember from last week's text, that's why they won. That's how they got to be beneath the throne, worshiping God. It was because they loved and they served and they bled and they died just like the lamb. That's how they overcame. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you'll put a, like all of the mark of the beast 666 nonsense. You will just cast all that stuff aside and prayerfully consider what's going on up here. Who am I serving up here? And who am I serving with these? And then you'll know whether you are sealed with the spirit or marked with the beast. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you love us and you care about us so much that you tell us how our enemy fights. For those of us who are deceived, I just ask God that we would wake up. For those of us who are living under accusation, I pray that we would stop agreeing with the devil on his accusations that we would break free from our sinfulness, that we would break free from accusation, we would break free from deceit, and we would serve and we would love and we would see that we serve a victorious God who's already won, and that we would patiently endure through the blood of the Lamb and the witness of our testimony. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.